Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. Thanks for joining us today in the second part of our conversation with our guest. If you missed the first part of the conversation, you might want to go back and listen to that one first, or at very least read the show notes so you know who it is that we're talking to but I think that you'd be really well served to check out that first episode. So if you haven't heard that one yet, go back one episode and listen to the first part of the conversation to hear the foundation of where we're coming from, and then come back to this one to dive into the rest of our conversation, exploring how our guest's life has provided them with so much medicine for their own life and the rest of the people that share it with them. So don't miss the backstory. Go check that out and come back. We'll be here. And if you're ready, here we go. Oh, absolutely. What you say in that reminds me of, um, it was many years ago now, um, I had just gotten into um, doing vision quests. And, you know, I'd go out on these excursions in, in nature and spend four days fasting. And, um, and I'd have these amazing realizations and clarity about, like, who I was and what my life was about. And then I would come home. And I had a supportive partner and I had some good friends, but that community piece was missing and, and it was so painful. And I, then I was like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the right vision. Maybe that wasn't the right thing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I missed it or something. I got to go do it again. And I would go do it again, you know, next year, a couple of years later, and I'd come back and repeat that cycle, um, that like not having the community to see us and welcome us back with the gifts that we have to offer is mm. so painful. And, mm. um, and it was, it was a, a mentor that, uh, pointed that out probably like, I don't know, seven years after that first painful experience that he finally said that to me, he was like, yeah, it's the most painful thing to be coming back home to your community and not being seen and recognized for who you are now and, and what the gifts are that you have to offer. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, just a, a big exclamation point to what you just said. It's hugely important for sure. I'm afraid that our culture in the U.S., our individualism that Rollo, Mo Rollo May talks a lot about in one of his books, The Cry of Myth, you know, our culture as the individual foremost and then capitalism, those two things, it feels like structurally our world isn't designed to welcome you back from your vision right. quest mm -hmm. if we were in some wonderful african tribe or other communities they would be ripe to do that for you but we're mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. 
At, right. at least that's my bias. Yeah. 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 Well, and I'll, I'll, I agree and I'll add on to the story a little bit more of, of like what I've learned through facing that pain of not being welcomed back is it has forced me to continue to, to refine and shape and, and continue to plot on and persevere and say, no, this is important. Um, you know, back to the metaphor of earlier of like, well, it is important and I'm going to sing my song, um, even if nobody recognizes that it has value. Um, so there's a both and like it would be nice. I would love to see us have intact culture again where there is that community to help support and nurture everybody's unique gifts. And there, there is something about the challenge, I think, that has uh, it's like continuing to go back in the forge and continue to be shaped. And, and it's not like a, just an easy win, not that a vision quest or anything like that is easy, but um, it, it's not just like a here's how I get a little into my uh, thoughts around consumerism is that sometimes I think that we go to therapy or we go to uh, a ceremony like a vision quest or something like that. And we believe that, okay, now I have this product that I can go take and use. Um, but it, it hasn't been like that for me. I think that's my own consumer uh, bias. Uh, well, I love what you're saying and it goes to the heart of uh where my mind can get stuck of why does it have to be so hard? Right. You know, why, why do writers or filmmakers or podcasters or other people, you know, have to keep putting it out, putting it out, putting it out for so long without a response. And then there's the overnight sensation of, you know, break, finally breaking through, but why is it so hard? And, and you answered that by saying, well, it's the forge, it's the crucible that we're being cooked in. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, nature has been my teacher uh, a lot and, and, and really seeing how you know, human nature and, and nature in general, like there's these forces and there's these patterns that seem to be at play and, um, for the most part, things happen pretty slow in nature. You know, every now and then there's a storm or an earthquake or something like that. But I, I know um, uh, I don't personally want to have to endure a storm or an earthquake anytime that I want to change something in my life. I'm coming to appreciate, um, and to use your words from earlier, with little humility of like, yep, it's slow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I think you've just named it. And we've been, we just got back from Tucson and we did a lot of hiking and was thinking a lot about geology and we were looking at petroglyphs and, and that reflection, I did have that reflection on the slow, slow nature of evolution, you know, with millions or billions or whatever it is, years. Um, and again, this human, my human, I want it now. And yeah, you, right. you name it, you named it. Yeah. 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 I don't know if there's more to say about this, Laura, but just really piqued my curiosity when you were talking about your current project, uh, the, the curse of invisibility, because the parents made a deal with the devil like that, that, phrase really keeps ringing in my head. And I'm wondering if we could expand on the deal with the devil that 
our parents may have made or something like that. Uh, do you have any, be willing to share anything you'd be willing to share about that? Yeah. I'm, it is such a great and recurrent theme in fairy tales, I think. And it goes for me to Jung's uh, thoughts and even the Bible, the, the sins of the parents are visited upon the children mm-hmm. that, um, Really, there's no way, not, and this isn't to blame the parents, it's just right. we have, I have to, you know, work through my own legacy. You mentioned ancestors before we recorded, and and that sense of <laughs> maybe, maybe if I do enough inner work, I can bring some light to the dark that gets recapitulated through unconsciousness and, and that's part of my work. So, um, this idea, I mean, the devil, what, what thing that's really fun about my writing right now is I'm just sinking into and embracing archetypal images like the devil, you know, and, and we could talk, for days about what is that and mm-hmm. and what do we do culturally with that image and what was Jung trying to do with that image and and how can that serve us because the the shadow is so valuable and um words just don't do any of this justice i i'm finding in my writing that i'm letting the unconscious lead more than i ever have and it's it's really thrilling but it's slower but that's okay Right. Right. I, I, I agree. We could talk for days. And I think that's probably why it piqued my interest. And I wanted to come back to it a little bit because I had a pretty fundamentalist Christian mm. upbringing. And through my own analysis and therapy, I've I've been unpacking my own relationship to what this devil thing means. And mm. at the same time, it's still such a, 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 a sticky and potent uh, word uh, for me. I don't know if it's just me or if it's the collective culture that we have that, you know, Christianity is still pretty much the dominant religion in this country. And, um, and so, yeah, what is the devil? And, and what uh, I heard you talk about is that, um, you know, sometimes there's these harmful patterns that, uh you know, harm or trauma gets uh, kind of passed on or inflicted upon us or our children and our family lines or in our communities. Uh, that's one way to say what the devil is, perhaps. Um, um, yeah, and, and the fact that, like that phrase, like the parents made a deal with the devil. And I also wanted to say I agree with you. It's not ever about placing blame, in my opinion. It's about, well, let's just look at what's happened um, so we can understand how we got here. It's not about, um, well, this person did a bad thing and you know should be punished. I think that's the uh, maybe a little leftover from some of the Christian upbringing, at least in the way that I was raised um, in the church. Um, but like, what? I wonder what the deal is, and what the devil is, and and why we make deals with the devil. Um, uh, big questions. I don't know if you have any thoughts on them. Yeah, um, that that last one. Why do we make deals with the devil? And in this story, where it's going right now is she's going to make a deal in order to get over the curse. She's going to make a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have been wrestling with what is that? And I think 
um, there's many answers. One answer might be um, when I agree to be unconscious, when I agree to embrace a part of myself in an unconscious way because I don't want to see something. Mm. That that might be that might be what's happening in my story. I'm not sure yet, but mm. um, yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. As, as we're talking about this, the the song uh, Charlie Daniels, "The Devil Went Down to Georgia." Do you know that song? <laughs> I probably do, but it's I don't have the lyrics in my head at this point. Do yeah, you have I, a lyric you're thinking of? I've got the tune in, in, in my head and, and I'm, I'm trying to think of how the song goes. Um, but uh, um, it feels really relevant to what we've been talking about today that if I remember how the song goes correctly, um, it's uh, the devil goes and meets this boy who's a fiddle player and he makes, and the devil's trying to steal souls and the fiddle player um, wants to make a deal with the devil because he wants to have more fame as a fiddle, fiddle player. Right. And, so, and, you know, as we've been talking about in our conversation today, there's this this desire that we need to be seen and recognized for our gifts. And maybe uh, we'll, we're even willing to make a deal with the devil because it's so important that we get our gifts out there. Um, and, uh, you know, the devil offers like, OK, sure, I'm going to help you. Uh, but uh, it's going to cost potentially as well. Um, right, right. And maybe it's. Maybe it's like a shortcut. I want to, and maybe that's another way to think of deals with the devil is trying to take a shortcut to the process. And I know von Franz that used to annoy me. Marie Louise <laughs> von Franz would talk about haste is of the devil. Mm -hmm. And she would repeat that in numerous books where when, when we're in a hurry, the devil is there. And mm -hmm. um, I'm always in a hurry. So I didn't like that she said that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you owned that you're always in a hurry. I was about to say like, oh, I'm getting better at that in my older age. And I think there's some truth to that. But but the, the bigger truth is that like uh, I always feel like there's never enough time and I'm always too busy and too overscheduled. And so any opportunities to save time and, and to make haste, uh, I, I, I take. And, um, and sometimes haste is, as I'm just riffing on this, haste is exciting. It's fast. It's, you know, <laughs> there's adrenaline, there's, there's good feelings, right? You know, like, so like that haste is so uh, tempting. And so to consider the fact that what Marie-Louise von Braun said, that like the devil, wherever there's haste, the devil is there. That's a really interesting uh, thought there to ponder. Yeah, and I think she probably was linking it also to humility, you know, this this idea that I want it now and that we've been talking about and and that kind of ego place that is sometimes so hard to surrender. Um yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, it reminds me of what we were saying before about when you're working with art or you're working with dreams, or if you're really trying to engage with stories and fairy tales, um, the, uh, 
there is no guarantee I want it now. It's a, it's a, it's a coming to the story. It's a coming to the art. It's a coming to the dream with, uh, with a willingness and, and, and maybe a humility too of like, Hey, I'm open and, and, and willing to, to learn something here, to receive something and to learn. And I'm, I'm willing to give my time and my energy to this. What is there here? And, and sometimes we get something and sometimes we don't. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think I have a pretty strong ego. I, um, it's, it can, I, I have the ability to focus really like hard because I think as an artist, that ability to zoom, zoom, zoom in mm -hmm. and, and be discriminating about what's working or not working in a piece to have that super intentional creative focus is such a gift. And then to turn it off at other times is really hard because I think you, to be a creator, you have to have a certain egoism, egotism, mm -hmm. right. you know, you're creating and, but it is that same egotism that will get in my way. So it is a tightrope walk, I think. Right. Right. Well, it, brings up this concept that I've been learning a ton about in many years. I still feel like I barely understand it, but it's like this, what you're describing is there's a relationship between the ego and, you know, whatever it is that you're creating or hoping to create or, you know, the, the dream world or whatever. And, and how do we be in relationship rather than trying to dominate and control it or try to just purely surrender to it? Um, Right. The ego self access is what I think of when you mm -hmm. say that. And that is the work that kind of integrates my religious impulse. You know, it isn't just about me. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's such a, such a dance. Um, right. and, and that being said, like, I, I want to maybe shift gears a little bit and ask you, uh, is there something in your life, uh, that you've been trying to reject, uh, trying to disown, trying to get rid of, uh, that just keeps coming back and, and that like is, is not done with the relationship with you yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's funny. Uh, I started out doing live theater. I was directing and I think my hunger for home would get in the way. I would, I would feel like my cast was my family and all of my needs would come out. It was messy. Hmm. Um, so now I am, I'm alone in the basement with dolls and it's hmm. very easy because nobody talks back and everybody does exactly what I say. I have the total control, <laughs> but I feel called and continue to feel called to lead groups around these films. It, it's come to me in various ways and it feels like, yes, that's my calling and it's not what I want. I think being alone in my basement is comfortable. Being in front of people sharing my stuff can be hard. Um, so that's not done with me. And, and yeah, it's, it's an, it's interesting how, um, 
and um, and I might I might come back into live action filmmaking, which will terrify me. Like I found this nice little comfortable place, and it's been healing, but I can't just stay there. I'm afraid. Right, right. I love like what you just shared, Laura, because it really highlights again that relationship and that tension of like you have the longing for home and community and belonging, but then there's also the comfort of the aloneness, but then and you can try to start to accept that, but then it won't leave you alone and you have to go back to running groups and have the community again and yeah, I, I so resonate with that story. Well, you named well. it very well. Yes, that's it. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, I named it because I know it very intimately myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really okay alone. It's great, but uh, not really. And and and, and really. Um, yeah, it's both. Yeah, appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And there's something, too... I don't know if this starts to get too out there, but my imagination goes to as you're in your basement with dolls, uh, you're also not alone because there are actually some real characters um, and, and real beings or entities that you're relating to and interacting with um, is my sense. Does it feel that way to you? Oh yeah. I, I, I think that's really trippy is that, creations come through me or probably through all artists they come through and they have their own life and the dolls are really um archetypally trippy because so they're in my basement there's they they have magnets on their feet the the stage is a metal and so they may be in a posture they may be in a moment that I was filming and I go down to do the laundry and there they are, they're just waiting, you know? And so there's, it, it's a very rich, it's sort of like sand tray, right? It's mm -hmm. very rich to kind of create these moments and then there they are. Right. Yeah. And you use the word archetype and not everyone might be familiar with that. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by the archetype and how they're embodying that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, trying to think of, so the, the film I'm, I'm finishing right now is based on a fairy tale called the two travelers. And, um, there's violence in the tale as grim tales often are violent. And so one of the dolls had a, had a, thing over her eyes because in the tale her eyes get gouged out or cut out hmm. again like the handless maiden but mm -hmm. in this case the eyes and um so she may be on my stage with two crows that in the scene are talking to her so archetypes um and gosh how can i how can I claim to even be able to speak to what they are? I mean, they are, they're these rich symbolic realities that live in us and in the world. And we're always sort of experiencing their power. And as I get, and so they come through in synchronicities and dreams. And so in this montage, I'm talking about the archetype of the crow and 
what that might be and all the associations with crow and all the associations with blindness, those could be archetypes that are sort of working on me and I'm work, I'm, I'm experiencing, I'm guessing you're going to be able to explain it a lot better than me. Well, I think you're doing great, uh, giving more, uh, examples of how it's showing up in your work. And, and I like that. I like your definition because it was actually very open and vast. Uh, I think that in our pop, uh, culture, pop understanding, like we think of archetypes as, you know, okay, there's a king or a queen or, or, and that's, you know, it has this kind of role or rigid definition, but like what you said is, is very rich in that they, um, they have, it's like this, uh, configuration of patterns. And I was really, mm. um, struck by the reason why I even asked you to go into it a little bit more. was like when I was seeing your images of your dolls, like holding this potential essentially of like here, here is everything that this, you know, character with eyes gouged out, um, could potentially, do and say and interact in ways that like what it's like to live as a person with no sight and 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 that's been victimized and traumatized like there's there's all kinds of pieces uh that are available in that and, and the archetype is really holding a lot of that potential um and so I, I really love that we've approached it from a very open broad uh definition versus a little bit more rigid you know you probably aware you can buy archetype card decks which are, are really interesting and 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 valuable in ways in some ways too to help um stir things and yet there's so much more than just a rigid definition that can fit on a card or or in a book too so uh, very rich yeah yeah it's it's amazing that as a filmmaker but also somebody who's studying young that this is the language of the unconscious, mm -hmm. these images are a language that if I learn this language, I can start to see it in the world playing out or in this other film playing out. I can start to, I can start to recognize archetypal patterns. Um, but it's a, it's a language. That's why I think reading von Franz and other Jungians helps me learn the language of these um, images. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another really important uh, point about archetypes that I love that it's coming through with your films is that uh, we don't want to necessarily get consumed by them. Like the, that goes back to what you were saying about the devil and unconsciousness. Like if we are if an mm. archetype is acting through us, mm. you know, like, like I, for, if I'm, if I'm playing a therapist or rather than being a, a Chuck, um, then I'm not actually fully present and conscious, um, mm. you know, or, you know, with your, how your work is different than movies is that actors are, are, are playing a, a role and often a very archetypal role um, and, and sometimes they do let themselves get consumed by it and that's what makes a good actor. Uh, mm. but then they, they lose their self while they're doing it as well, potentially. Right. And, and so back to what we were talking about earlier to have some sort of relationship between who you are and an archetypal force or energy, um, is, is really important. Um, otherwise we lose some of our own consciousness and our own autonomy. 
Um, so I love that you're doing it with dolls because that really helps maintain some of that distance, I think. Interesting, really interesting. I feel, I feel I'm still on the learning edge of a lot of this. What you said reminds me of a particular archetype of the scapegoat mm -hmm. and this wonderful book called the scapegoat complex, because it mm. really does. Um, that's a real example that comes to my head of an archetype that I can live mm. unintentionally. Mm -hmm. You know, somehow at some point I was scapegoated and now that archetype feels familiar and I take it on um, unconsciously. Right. Um, yeah, that that one I can find. I think what's weird about my work, <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you a little story, okay. um, but I'll just say in general, what's weird about my work is that I don't know what I'm creating a lot of the time. I do know some of what I'm creating, but some of it is unconscious to me. And mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> a wonderful little film that uh, is on my site, if people want to watch it, it's called The Linguist. Hmm. And it's, it's about, um, it's based on the three languages, another grim tale that von Franz talks a lot about. And sorry for the spoiler, but at the end of the tale, the hero is asked to become the Pope. And because hmm. of everything that the hero's been through, the hero, but the hero's like, I can't become the Pope. And the birds who are talking to the hero say, yes, you can. We're going to help you. We're going to sit on your shoulders. We, oh, there's the bird again. We're going to sing. We're going to sing the mass for you. Don't worry. We got you covered. And um, so when the main Jung Center came to me and said, we want you to do this thing on individuation, I said, I can't do that. And then the leader, Jeff, said, that's just like your film. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize. So this, and I was talking with somebody recently about this moment of the film and said to her, are you ready to become the Pope? And that made such an impression on her because that's her cutting edge. She's being asked to, in a, in a sense, take on a bigger role that she doesn't feel she's ready for, but parts of her are ready to do it through her. Right. She has to let go of control. Hmm. Anyway. Well, that's beautiful. No, no, anyway, that's a beautiful story because I, I really see in here how you are the Pope through this process. Like you don't know what you're creating, but the birds show up and sing and they help you be the Pope or, or the creator of these films. <laughs> it's very hard for me to even say yes to that, but yes, I guess, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing it. That's a, it's a beautiful story. And yeah, I'll have to check out that, uh, that tale uh, and that film too. That's not one I know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Gosh, this has been such a rich conversation, and I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like we could keep going on all day talking about more stories and more tales, and um, and at the same time, uh, maybe it could be good enough uh, as it is too. I, I don't know. Um. Yeah, I <laughs> if it feels like um 
what you're doing feels very similar to what I'm doing. And so that's why I was so excited to be with you. And um, maybe we'll have an encore at some point. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be fun. Uh, that'd be fun. I think there's so much uh, richness in, in your stories and what you're sharing. And um, and as we've been talking today, too, I've, I've been really enjoying sharing some of my stories and how they relate and then the things that I make up about them. Um, just this engagement with the process that you and I are both doing feels really rich and nourishing and, and rewarding for me, at least. And I imagine it is on some level for you and that's why you do it. For sure. I, I mean, creativity is what we're called toward, not just filmmakers, but all of us. And it feels like this time together has been um, really dedicated toward that creative um, openness to what, what emerges, what will emerge. Right. Absolutely. And, and maybe this is bringing it back full circle to the beginning too, that trusting in the value of it, um, that mm. wasn't, wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't uh, pre-orchestrated. We didn't have a script or goals of anything that we were going to talk about, but just trusting in the value of what two people coming together with intention and, and curiosity and wonder can um, co-create. And to come back to the title of your podcast, there's medicine in that, and there's mm -hmm. medicine, I hope, in these films. I I, I think, um, yeah, that this is the medicine. Being authentic is a medicine. These perennial tales are a medicine. Oh, absolutely. I really hope that uh, the people that have listened, that end up listening to this podcast can really hear, you know, from the very first tale that we started talking about, the little match girl in, in your version was, um, remind me of the title again. Phone, phone gal. Phone gal, right. That um, I hope that they, that people can really see how these things are archetypal patterns that are still living out um, in our lives. Uh, it's, they're not just old dusty stories that people used to tell, you know, hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, but like these, these patterns that we've been exploring today of actual material poverty or internal poverty, um, ego, hubris, haste, making deals with the devil, being willing to suffer the the slowness and the uncertainty um you know these tales really tell those stories and help us to not feel so alone with them and and maybe give us a little strength and encouragement to endure them in our own lives even in, in modern day right and guidance and reminders so you know phone gal kind of taught me to um, not continually look to a certain relationship to fill me up in a way that was just like burning matches. It was just, it was just using up some psychic goodness um, in in something that was not good for me. Uh, so I think these tales continually give me, like dreams do, guidance in how to live. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and in so many ways that, uh, like, you know, what you just said was a slightly different take on how we were talking about it earlier. Like, there's so many rich uh, uh, 
messages and, and pieces of wisdom in these stories that really just takes our willingness to engage the story and say, like, oh, how am I the little match girl? I don't care that I'm a 46-year-old man. I'm also the little match girl, right? Um, right. That when we put ourselves in the story and let the story be in us and really consider, like, how have I experienced this? Uh, that's, that's part of that relationship that develops that gives us the medicine. Right. Yeah. And, and that's part of uh, what this podcast is all about. You know, I'm sure there's nobody else out there doing what you're doing, Laura, that's going to listen to this podcast. And yet, I think we all have had our journeys with, you know, trying to, you know, start a, a career, a, a business, uh, an offering to the community, uh, other forms of art, like this process that you've been in um, is is very uh, relatable hopefully to other people if they're willing to see how how, how are they like Laura <laughs> <laughs> well I, I, before we leave I just that yeah. makes me want to say that so I love comedy my muse is Thalia the muse of comedy hmm. I've I'm, I'm really de been dedicated to her my whole life and um, we laugh I, I think we laugh at something true in ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Seinfeld was always very brilliant for, I think, our cultures. He would bring forward or curb your enthusiasm to shows that um, I admire, um, bring forward what we'd rather hide from ourselves and other people. Right. So if if my films make people laugh, especially when I'm revealing myself, then I go, ah, they're like me. Mm. Because laughter is what shows that we're the same. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's a much more approachable way to, to realize that. And it comes back to that other theme of our conversation today of humility of like, yeah, this, this, this thing that might be problematic for me or for other people or whatever. Yeah, I have it. You have it. We all have it. Um, it's just part of our shared inheritance as, as humans. Um, and to hold that lightly with some humility is so key. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, shall we wrap it with that? Sounds good. Okay. Well, um, I just want to thank you again, Laura, for really taking the time to come on the podcast today and to share some of your process, your your art, your creativity, your struggles, your passions, uh, all of these ingredients of this, of this human life that you're living um, and, and all of the certainties and uncertainties about it. Um, it was really clear to me as we were talking how much this process is, is really teaching you. And it's also teaching us uh, that you took the time to really share it with uh, with me and whoever listens today. So I just want to honor you and, and give so much thanks and gratitude for everything that you've shared with us today. It was so awesome to be invited to a platform that wants the whole story. And, <laughs> and that's definitely um, where I try to live these days. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I will put, uh, invite you to send a bio and, um, and have a link to your website and, and all of that uh, in the show notes. But do you want to just say too where people can find your films if they're inspired and want to go seek it out right now? 
Thank you. The easiest might just be my name, which is Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, Barr, B-A-R-R, lauralewisbarrfilms.com sort of will get you everything. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Well, the The story will continue for, for us and hopefully others for, for a long time. So thanks for being someone that helps illumin illuminate the guidance here for us. Thank you, Chuck. All right. Take care. Bye, Laura. Bye. Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay, too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life, too, is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.